When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with my man Luis Miguel Echegaray. How are you? What's up, brother? How are you? I'm doing well. I am literally just coming here from the airport on Monday morning after flying in from North Carolina, where I covered the NWSL final on Sunday. North Carolina Courage 4, Chicago Red Star 0. Uh... Very impressive, dominating performance by North Carolina to win their second straight title. Uh, We're going to talk about that in this show a little bit later here. We're going to start, though, uh, as we typically do with the Premier League and talk about Christian Pulisic's hat trick for Chelsea. Liverpool's win against Spurs coming from behind. The craziness at Arsenal with the captain, Granit Xhaka, being booed off the field. Uh, and delivering some uh, pleasantries back at the fans there. Uh, Southampton nil, Leicester nine, <laughs> which we'll also discuss. <laughs> oh, my God. And we'll also get into the ML- MLS playoffs. They're in the final four there uh, with games Tuesday and Wednesday to set up the final. We'll talk about the NWSL. We'll get into a little bit of La Liga uh, and Goings on in France. We'll answer reader questions. So there's, as usual, plenty to talk about at the end of a busy weekend. Uh, you were following all of this in the office as you typically do on Saturday and Sunday. I was so angry at Pulisic. I was, Why? I was so angry because every time, <laughs> every time I was updating the piece that he had just scored and I was ready to send, <laughs> he scored again. So I had to restart the whole thing. So Pulisic, I'm very angry. You need to time your hat tricks doing it in advance in accordance to the editors and producers that care so much about you. Please. <laughs> no, Un- unbelievable, by the way, okay, yeah. for him, because it, it went, it escalated very quickly from, hey, Pulisic starting finally for Chelsea in the Premier League to, hey, he just scored his first Premier League goal to, wait, there's a second one. Wait, there's a third one. <laughs> Really memorable career day for Christian Pulisic, who has never been a big goal scorer, if we're being honest here, and may not become one just because he had a hat trick one day in the Premier League. But um, this definitely changes the narrative for him in England. Yeah, there's a few things I want to say. The first thing is, let's talk about the game itself. Uh, Chelsea, once again, very good. I mean, Burnley, you know, has a reputation, specifically at Turf Moor, to be very resilient, not give away too many goals. The fact that they conceded four is is a thing in itself. But Chelsea now really looking good under Frank Lampard. Let's not forget that it's a busy schedule that the Blues have to do week in and week out. Let's also not forget that this is a young squad, you know, generally speaking. And Frank Lampard, you know, it's early. We're just entering November, so there's still a lot of you know, soccer to be played, but this is a good Chelsea team. Now, Christian Pulisic was fantastic in this match. Like you said, he's not necessarily a natural goal scorer. It's not the person that you're, you know, focusing on for your goals, but to score not just a hat-trick, but a perfect hat-trick, left foot, right foot, header. And the first one was amazing. 
I mean, he, you know, he took that run on the left-hand side. He brought three players with him. He did a little bit of a hesitant move, and then, boom, with his left foot, you know, uh, took it past Nick Pope to make it one nothing. The second one, he went center, veering towards the right, a right foot shot. And then the third one, a Mason Mount cross from a corner, which was already cleared, a great header, a really, really good performance. And, the you know... Afterwards, you know, he also wanted to talk about the fact he was a little bit disappointed that, you know, he lost possession to give back one of the goals for Burnley, you know, which says a lot about him. He, he wanted to say less about his goals and more about the fact that he still has to work on some things. And listen, I, I'm in a situation where I can be very neutral about Christian Pulisic. I'm not a, you know, USA fan. You know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm married to an American. I live here. My friends and colleagues obviously have a lot of you know, input in this team. But I can tell you that when I look at Christian Pulisic, I can look at him from a neutral perspective. And what I saw this past weekend was really remarkable. And we really should tip our hats off to Frank Lampard because I do feel that this was a strategy within itself. The fact that he didn't necessarily feel like he needed to jump him in at the beginning of the season. We were talking about he hasn't played in many games, you know, what can he do to get more minutes? And Frank Lampard just kept saying, just be patient. You know, the th it will come. And when you're 20, 21 years old, you're dying to just get those minutes. You're dying to just impress. And Frank Lampard, it seems, you know, was saying, you will get your time. You will get your moment. And let's not forget that this is a, a very packed attacking force for Chelsea. But, you know, all credit due to everybody involved and a great, great weekend for Christian Pulisic. So here's my question to you yeah. is... Is this credit to Frank Lampard for handling Pulisic so well? Or is this, Frank, this is why you should have brought him on earlier and used him a lot more earlier? I, I think the latter. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I'm not necessarily saying, you know, hey, Frank Lampard is the genius that we all thought. He's still a young manager within his own right, still trying to figure himself out. But I do think that he looked at the overall squad and he wanted to learn more from Chris and Pulisic. I don't think at any point... Was he saying, this guy is a waste of space in my squad, or I'm not the one that personally brought him in, or I need to put him in because of the reputation of his price tag, etc., etc. I do think, though, that he looks very carefully at what he has, game in and game out, week in and week out, specifically in that position, and says, this is the moment for him to come in. And you could see a progression. You could see a progression. Now, granted, there could be an argument to be made specifically in times when he didn't even play, where you could have been, you know, he should have featured at the very least. But regardless, I think that this will to prove himself was not necessarily a direct reason because of Lampard's, you know, missing him, you know, putting him out in squads. But I think there is uh, a specific strategy that Lampard thought. We got Callum Hudson-Odoi coming up, Pedro, William, you know, Mason Mount was already a big feature. He did similar things with Darby, by the way, you know, where, you know, people that were on form necessarily didn't get the minutes they thought they did because he was thinking more about strategy. Having settled that, I do still think that he probably shouldn't go in some minutes in the past where he didn't play at all. But you have to tip your hat off a little bit to Lampard. Maybe, maybe he knew what he was doing. I'm going to actually take some pride here because we make fun of ourselves because we agree with each other all the time. We we disagree slightly here. Woo! I don't I don't think Frank Lampard's a genius in this situation. I didn't call him a genius. Okay, I'm not saying, <laughs> you know, give Frank Lampard a ton of credit here for handling Pulisic in some masterly way because I just don't think that is exactly what happened here. Um that said, 
I, I would say that Chelsea is certainly moving in the right direction lately. You know, right around when they were losing at home to Valencia in Champions League, I was like, wow, this could be a long season for them. And several games later, several wins later, we're now seeing a team that I think has a pretty good shot to finish in the top four. Um, you know, I don't see them challenging the top two, but uh, this is a team that can finish in the top four. They're getting away wins in Champions League at Ajax. That's impressive. Um, so I, 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 on the one hand, I feel like Lampard may be getting the hang of it here uh, as a manager at Chelsea, and that's a high-pressure situation, no doubt. But I'm not ready to say that he did some masterclass in handling Pulisic here because I think Pulisic wasn't nearly as bad as some people were saying before. He was having an impact. And I don't know if Pulisic necessarily needed to go through this tough love stretch from Frank Lampard to produce what he did the other day. But the fact is, he produced what he did. That's a hat trick. It's going to earn more playing time. Uh, youngest hat trick score in the history of Chelsea Football Club. Which is pretty remarkable, right? Um, listen, and the last... Guys, by the way, <laughs> we, are, we are aware it was Burnley. I mean, you know, all credit, you know, all respect to Burnley. It wasn't necessarily a Liverpool or, you know, a Real Madrid or somebody like that. We are aware it was just one game, but there is a trajectory that you can see here. I think no November and December are key for Chelsea now. I mean, you've got the League Cup still, the round of 16. You, you know, Chelsea has Manchester United on Wednesday away at Watford at home to Ajax, Crystal Palace, Man City, you know, Valencia after that. It's a packed schedule. So we will see how this storyline develops. But from what we saw this weekend, hats off to Christian Pulisic and well done to Frank Lampard, who's developing a Chelsea team that's to be reckoned with once again. Yeah, and let's hope for Christian Pulisic, who's put together a few good performances in a row now. Stay healthy. Because that was the thing that slowed him down last season yep. with Dortmund and kept him from starting very much. It wasn't just Jaden Sancho. Obviously, that was a big part of it. But it was very hard for Pulisic to put together any momentum for Dortmund last year because really three or four times he picked up these injuries. And so as long as he can keep getting out there on the field, keep playing the way he's doing, it, this is more about more than just one game, one amazing game. Absolutely. By the way, he forgot his match ball, apparently. But he got it. He did get it in the Eventually. <laughs> yes. I think that was good. They actually signed it. It was kind of cool. You could see in the photo that he posted that his teammates signed it. Like, they were happy for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good for him. Good for him. Um, Liverpool goes down in, like, the first minute against Tottenham at Anfield. Harry Kane scores. Uh, and then Liverpool just comes back and kind of dominates the game in the end, gets the penalty, wins 2-1, to one, maintains their lead in the Premier League. Yeah, this one, uh, this one was interesting. Um, I think Tottenham, you know, the the 52nd, under 52nd goal for Harry Kane, the 1-0, but then it could have been 2-0 in the 23rd minute in that, you know, sort of Christian Eriksen crossing it in. And, and also in the 47th when Son hit the crossbar, who would have thought, you know, what would have happened? Also credit to uh, Paolo Gazaniga who had Good game. a ridiculous performance, taking in mind there was a 2-1 loss. Um but Liverpool, resilient in the second half, dominated, as you said. Fabinho, I thought, was really, really good, trying to, you know, at least gain some composure in the midfield. Uh, and Mohamed Salah with that penalty to win it. And, and you know, it's a, it, you know, yes, we, it's another loss for Tottenham. 
but I wouldn't call it a bad performance. I would just say that it was a game of two halves where Liverpool took some advantage at halftime and decided that they needed to take control. Having said that, it was three points lost. And now Tottenham once again finds itself on a way to climb up a mountain, a very steep mountain. But three points for Liverpool and, and a very good performance specifically in the second half. Fabinho I find fascinating because he has had a, just a gigantic impact on Liverpool. And everyone thought that Naby Keita would be the guy who came in and became the dominant player in the midfield that Fabinho has really become. And it shows you that you can do all your analytics work, all you know the the stuff that Liverpool and other clubs do before they you know identify somebody to bring in but you never know exactly how someone's going to perform how they're going to fit in until you see them out there and in Keita if we're being honest has, has kind of been a disappointment considering what we expected and, and Fabinho has made up for it because we didn't expect that much out of him yeah I mean you know uh, Keita didn't even get in the game right and I think when you look at Liverpool and the way that club likes to play he needs that midfielder that can hold Jordan Henderson will try and push up a little bit and create uh, Wijnaldum obviously on the other side and Fabinho is that guy that needs to make sure that once they lose possession they're kind of aware and that's exactly what he did it was a good contested fight but like you said you just never know with these things you can have statistics you know research and try and understand the way that a team plays or plays against Liverpool and a player like Fabinho can come in and give you something that you didn't know you know could happen so you know a good performance all around one other question for you in Brazilian nomenclature the suffix inyo is supposed to signify somebody small i saw fabinho in person not too long ago when he's i was a over big there. guy he's a big guy <laughs> yeah he's a big guy so i don't know what happened there if that's just like some like <laughs> name he got when he was six years old or something maybe his dad is huge <laughs> <laughs> um man city beats aston villa three goals in the second half business as usual yeah yeah uh, it was nil nil at halftime right. and Aston Villa did was resilient um it had a plan it had a strategy the defensive shape uh you know with a little bit of fortune managed to keep it Villa had some chances definitely but at halftime you know Dean Smith is in that locker room is like we can get something out of this but just like you learned against the Palace game Manchester City can just hit you in the blink of an eye and that that left side of Manchester City is just scary. Raheem Sterling is just unbelievable. And Bernardo... Really good form right now. Uh, just ridiculous. And everything was just going through that left side um, with, you know, Bernardo and David Silva playing well. And, you know, business as usual. Uh, it took care of business specifically in the second half, and it was a good win. Now, Fernandinho got, you know, sent off. So now you're talking about a centre-back situation where Otamendi is back. He's back Stones to health. Stones is back. And Stones is back. But that's it. Because Rodri is still injured, and Rodri's not center back. So now, you know, Manchester City has to be careful. I mean, I'm thinking that Guardiola is just saying, God, January, please hurry up, because they need to bring somebody in, because you just don't know, you know, what's going to happen. Isn't that on him a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, we talked about this. I mean, you know, what are you doing, you know, when you're strengthening the team, you're the defending champion of the Premier League, and you're not, you know, focusing. Vincent Company has just left your team. Why aren't you strengthening that side? And now with Fernandinho suspended, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Specifically, as we said with Chelsea, the same thing with Manchester City with a loaded schedule. So, you know, Liverpool coming in a few weeks, right? So, um, let's look at the misery aspect of the Premier League weekend, and it's quite a competition here between Arsenal and Southampton. Um, of who had a worse weekend. Uh, Arsenal, two 
Palace 2 after Arsenal was up 2-0. Uh, it gets worse when the captain, who's still, for me, the uh, captain in quotes, Granit Xhaka, comes off the field. He's unhappy, gets booed by the Arsenal fans, tells them F you, walks straight into the tunnel, rips off his shirt. What's going on here, and how Arsenal is this? Okay, first let's talk about this game, where, you know, Crystal Palace, well done on coming back. Again, Arsenal just, you know, just completely broke. But there was a very big VAR argument here. Bad VAR. Where Socrates scored the winner, and after VAR intervened, you know, calling a foul in the box prior to the finish. And this is something that we talked about last week. Had the referee, main official, had a screen on pitch sideline to relook at that. As they do in rational VAR countries. Would they, would had he given that? I don't think so. I mean, would he given the foul, I mean, and would he have awarded the goal? And I think it would have been a 3-2 win to Arsenal. So having, you know, so I think there was a major, major VAR issue in this game specifically. Having said that, um, Arsenal shot themselves in the foot once again. And the Granit Xhaka situation, listen, it's a 50-50 thing. On one thing, it's, you know, booing the player, you know, as he's coming off is you could say, you know, there's a little bit of self-entitlement from Arsenal fans. And I'm, I'm going to get, fine, I'll get the replies on Twitter. I don't care. But Xhaka didn't help himself by walking super slowly True. to come off when they're trying to come back into this game, copping his ears, saying, whatever, I don't care, and then just walking straight into the tunnel. And the other argument that you can make is, is this a Nunai Emery problem, an issue? Should he have given him the captaincy uh, in this situation? Supposedly it was a team vote, right? But Emery eventually is part of that. Um, You're the manager. You I, make the call. I feel like he... His idea of what's happening on the inside of this team is not what the rest of us, our idea is, just based on what we see with our own eyes. Yeah. I, That's this, a concern. Yeah. And listen, I, when I saw this happening, for one, I was thinking, come on, Arsenal fans, booing him right now, is it going to help anything? But as he was walking slowly to come out, I thought, is that the kind of attitude I want to have? So to me, it's it's just a, a terrible situation. He shouldn't right be captain now. anymore. No, I don't think so. But again, we need to see Emery lead right now and say what what is the decision. Uh, now the original question is who had a worse weekend? Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> Southampton is 18th, a minus 16 goal differential. They just lost nine nothing to Leicester City, the biggest ever away victory in the Premier League, tying the you know Manchester United against Ipswich Town, uh, nine nothing. So tying that record as well. And this was just disastrous. I mean, you could obviously say the weather was bad, but it was bad for both sides, and there was a red card involved. But nine nothing. Uh, that that was bad. So I mean, obviously Southampton, 18th, a minus 16 goal differential. It's bad. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, like, and maybe the most surprising thing to me is we're recording this on Monday morning by 11:15 Eastern, and Ralph Hasenhuttle, the manager at Southampton, is still in his job. Pretty good, huh? Incredible. I mean, listen, take every day that you can right now. <laughs> um, right now, obviously, he's on the brink. Um, and we don't know yet what will happen after we finish talking. I'm just looking at the fixtures right now, and the next one is a League Cup round the 16 match against Manchester City. No problem. And then after that, it's Manchester City again. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I doubt 
he will have a job next week. Uh, but, you know, time will tell. Oof. Um, let's move on to the MLS playoffs, uh, which continue to be fantastic, by the way. Uh, we've got the final four, MLS semifinals. I don't like saying conference finals. That's stupid. It um, really is so dumb. So you've got LAFC hosting Seattle. In the other one, you've got Atlanta hosting Toronto. Um, as I said last week, by the way, yeah. there was going to be one away team winning in the quarterfinals, Toronto at NYCFC, and what happened? Yeah, you called it, my friend. Hey, listen, I gave you props on the, on the show as well. Uh, I, it was exactly what happened. I mean, Toronto was resilient against NYCFC. Now, I guess we'll begin with Atlanta and Toronto, the last two MLS Cup champions going against each other. This is going to be an interesting one. Uh, also, a lot depends on Josie Altador right. and how much he can a feature and provide for the visiting team. I don't think, and I have to put my hand up because everything that I've been criticizing Atlanta for for the last two months um, hasn't happened in the playoffs. I said defensively they would be vulnerable. They haven't conceded a goal. They didn't concede against New England. They didn't concede against the Union. So, well done. Again, back to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I, I, I will probably think that you will see that same kind of defensive uh, resiliency against Toronto. But to me, it's about Pozuelo. You have to contain him. Acting as this false nine creating so much havoc. And if Josie Altador comes back into this game, then you may have a game in our hands here. But I'm going to go with the home team again. I just think that um, Joseph Martinez will once again be up for it. Piti Martinez uh, was great in the last game, uh, providing a lot of creativity. They have Barco as well. They have too many offensive weapons. And I know I said the same thing about NYCFC, but I think it's a little bit different here. And with the support of, you know, what is Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I think Atlanta United will once again go back to MLS Cup. That's what I think. Well, give some credit to Frank DeBoer here yeah. for a lot of doubts about him all season long and continuing into the playoffs, I think, about uh, could he replicate what this club achieved last year under Tata Martino? And here they are in a position to get to the final again, uh, these two teams, Atlanta and Toronto, played twice this year. Atlanta won 2 nothing at home. Toronto won 3-2 in Toronto. Um, I'm curious to see how Greg Vanny plays in yeah. this game. I don't think he's going to go for it in a sense. I think he's going to keep it pretty close to the vest. Yeah, definitely not in the first half. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, obviously that could change if Atlanta gets a goal. But, um, you know, you mentioned these are the last two champions. And so... Toronto looking a bit more now like the team from a couple years ago that was so good. Now, obviously, it's not the exact same personnel. Jovinko's not there. But um, they're a team that's capable of winning this game. I just don't think they will. Yeah, I agree. But I'm with you. I think a lot of credit should be going to Frank DeBoer because I don't think anybody, not any everybody, but a, a large majority saw them being in a position where they're one game away from MLS Cup once again. Uh, in the other game, uh, we've got LAFC, the top seed, hosting Seattle. And here's what's kind of crazy, because these were pretty much the two best teams in the West all season long, but they only played each other twice, and it was a week apart in April. All the way back in April, and even at the time, Bob Bradley was like, I don't know who made this schedule. <laughs> because that's idiotic. Yeah, that's crazy. And I'll give you one more thing. In those last two games, Raul Rudias wasn't in the game. Right. So, you know, LAFC has... 
not seen Seattle at it. I, to me, this is the game. This is two high, fast, offensive threats going at each other. Obviously, uh, we know what LAFC brings, but they haven't seen Seattle with Raul Rudias. If Jordan Morris can replicate what he did last game, it should be a very interesting game. I see this a high-scoring affair. Please don't ask me to who I think is. Well, I mean, I did say LFC is going to go all the way, so I have to stick with LFC, but I think Seattle's going to do everything they can to match them. I mean, Roldan said it. We can hit them just as much as they can hit us. It, it feels like years ago, but back in April, LAFC beat Seattle 4-1 to at home. A week later, 1-1 tie up in Seattle. But this Seattle team, as mentioned, completely different than that team way back in April. Um, and... Let's talk a little bit about the LAFC win over the Galaxy because this was the first time that LAFC has beaten their crosstown rival in six tries, but this one mattered the most. What a game. And yes, it's it just go uh, statistics are only there to be changed and you know, uh it was the first time LAFC won against Galaxy as you said and they did everything they could to make sure it mattered. And Brian Rodriguez, we said it from the very beginning, this kid is so good. 19 years old, and he supplied so much. Obviously, we know about Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi was fantastic, but Brian Rodriguez just gives you that addition up front to give so much just headaches to the Galaxy. And again, you know, it just goes to show that just overall, overall, the makeup of LAFC all the way from the back to the front, it just goes to show that it's deeper and it just needed to take care of business at home, and it did. I'm a little concerned about LAFC's defending. Yeah, especially against game. Seattle. Yeah, because yeah. Um, <laughs> there were some weird, some pretty easy goals on both sides. Yeah, this was not a blueprint for MLS <laughs> defensive quality, that's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, we're here to see goals, and the goals were there, but I agree. And LAFC, again, has to watch out against Seattle's, you know, revamped, new look offense and it's an offense that's really scary but this is going to be some game I think yeah looking forward to both of these semifinals over the next couple of nights uh, let's move on a little bit to other things here the NWSL championship North Carolina 4 Chicago 0 Heather O'Reilly playing it right back to fill in for injuries plays her final game of her career goes out a champion uh, I ended up I was down there yeah how was um, it I really enjoyed it. Um, I had not been, if I'm being honest, to a women's league final for Sports Illustrated since the second year of the WUSA. So that's a long time ago. That was two leagues ago. And it's not that I wasn't pitching to go to the final. It, it just, I, I wasn't getting uh, the, the green light to do it. Mm. And, and clearly, women's soccer is having a very good year. And my SI bosses were like, yes, you need to go. You need to be there. Um, and you know, it was a good storyline. Um, you know, North Carolina is a dominant team in this league. They won the championship last year. They've won it again this year. They've won the last three supporter shields, best record in the league. Paul Riley is a very good coach. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, it was good to interact because I, I don't get out on the road during the season to, to spend a lot of time, uh, with NWSL teams. I, I covered them obviously um, a lot of the players with the national team but what he's put together uh, has taken a few years back from when uh, North Carolina was actually the Western New York Flash they ended up moving to North Carolina but his nucleus he had already started to build and several of those players from Western New York came with him to North Carolina they've added to that 
Um, Which is what we talked about, right? And the and the show last week when we interviewed Denise O'Sullivan, we talked about the unity of this team. Uh, I'm intrigued. How was the atmosphere? How was the sold out stadium uh, in excess of ten thousand? It's um, actually the first time I've been to a game down at Wake Med Park in Cary, North Carolina. It's a it's a cozy soccer stadium and uh, and a really good atmosphere. Uh, for this game, it, it was supposed to rain at first, and then it didn't, and actually ended up being hot and humid, much more so than here in New York, by the way, right now. And and clearly, North Carolina had the fitness to deal with that. Yeah. And Chicago didn't. There were players by the end of the first half for Chicago that were like bent over, you know, just winded, beaten. And by that time, they were already down three nothing. So you can't do that when you play against Crystal Dunn. <laughs> no. Um, and so. Maybe Sam Kerr's last game for Chicago. We'll wait and see. Just today, they're going to be voting uh, an NWSL board meeting about whether to change the salary cap so that players like Sam Kerr might be tempted to stay in the league. So it's not completely a done deal uh, that she might leave. But uh, if if that is Sam Kerr's last game, she's amazing. Now, she wasn't yesterday, but you know, to far and away win the Golden Boot again. That's all she does is win the Golden Boot every year in any league she plays in. Um, just a, a remarkable player, so pay her, try and keep her. Yeah, please. She's just incredible. Um, any other news that, uh, you know, you, you, you sent a few little pieces of news nuggets uh, through the weekend. Uh, I, I found some interesting, specifically with uh, Sacramento and, Not all and so them. forth. It's just some. I was, one one I was, or two were boring, I was they? tired. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're here in New York on Monday. Vladko Andonovsky, the new U.S. women's national team coach, is set to be announced as the new coach in a press conference here in New York later today, which I'll be writing off of for SI.com. Planning to have him in the video studio tomorrow here with us. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but he's already sent out invitations to his first U.S. camp, which is next week, because they have two friendlies coming up in early November. And I was able to report that one of the call-ups is Alana Cook, who is a really interesting 22-year-old center back, played at Stanford. And she would have been a first-round draft pick in the NWSL this year, but she elected to go to Europe and sign with PSG, which I was told offered her about five times the salary that she would have made in the NWSL for a three-year contract. And I think we're going to start seeing a bit more of this. Uh, and NWSL needs to deal with that and make themselves a more um, a, a league that more players want to go to. Yeah, she's an American-English dual national. Yes. Who trained with Phil Neville's England squad earlier in the month. That's another part of it here. So uh, Phil Neville... Um, who was never a candidate for the U.S. job, despite what his agent told everybody, um, calls in Alana Cook uh, because her father allows her to qualify to play for England. She is not cap-tied. She trained with England, and now she gets the call to the U.S. So there's a you know that's a storyline to watch here. But also, is Andonovsky potentially going to look to Europe maybe a little more often than Jill Ellis did? And, and there's other questions, too, here, because Carly Lloyd's been saying for a while, well, I want to wait and see who the next coach is before we find out if I'm going to be involved over the next year up to the Olympics. Uh, the rumblings I'm getting are that uh, Carly Lloyd and, and the healthy American World Cup players are likely to be called in 
like Andonovsky's not going to write off Carly Lloyd from the start here. Like, there's a reason why the players like him, and part of it is because they think he'll give them a fair shake and an opportunity. That doesn't mean Carly Lloyd's going to necessarily be on the Olympic team. Yeah, I, which is, I think, why it's really important for NWSL to relook and restructure the salary um, cap situation if it wants to compete with Europe. You know, if teams like PSG are offering five times, six times, whatever, more to different players, you know, this league has to remain competitive in order to maintain these talented uh, core players. Sam Kerr, obviously, uh, for Australia, but also as the league itself. Interestingly, we did see Marta extend with Orlando last week. So as bad as things have been for that team down there, she must have wanted to stick around. Um, But uh, other news I reported was that Sacramento is quote, 99% certain, end quote, to become an expansion team in the NWSL next season, which is going to require them to announce very quickly yeah, it's very what's, optimistic. Right? What's going on there? But um, that is the expectation from the league is that Sacramento will be involved next year. They're obviously getting an MLS team in 2022. They've had a USL men's team, but they haven't had one on the women's side. So it's not one of those situations like when uh, Utah decided to, to take the FC Kansas City team and that team was already there. You know, there, there was a team to bring over. Like Sacramento doesn't have a team yeah, to bring over from somebody. They're starting new. from scratch. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they'd have to get a coach. They got a lot on their plates. Yeah, which is why I said very optimistic. But, you know, it's good that these conversations are happening. Well, also, too, Atlanta United uh, set to come in, they think, in 2021 with a NWSL team. I had an article on SI.com middle of last week about a lot of this stuff uh, that – uh, NWSL is trying to kind of figure out, but at least things are moving in the right direction. Sponsorships are getting better. Uh, Budweiser had a huge role down there, uh, is even encouraging other con- other companies to become NWSL sponsors. Uh, the big question right now is, what role will U.S. soccer have with the NWSL moving forward? And based on people I'm talking to, uh, that's still up in the air a little bit. The U.S. soccer will have a role. But it won't be the same as it's been, where it was a federation-operated league. Next season, it's going to be an owner-operated league. They're going to have a commissioner for the first time in three years. So um, most of that seems to be good. But I've had people tell me with NWSL, like, we don't want to make it sound too rosy because, one, it's not totally rosy. Our teams are still losing money, with the exception of Portland. And we don't want U.S. soccer to say... (laughs) oh, things are fine there. We don't need to give them any money. Right. Because they do feel like they need U.S. soccer's money. (laughs) It's kind of like, it's good, but not as good that you need to leave us. Right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, lots to keep an eye on there, though. Um, In terms of La Liga, you want to talk about Granada being top of La Liga. Now, granted, they played one more game than Real Madrid and Barcelona, which neither of them played this weekend due to the rescheduled Classico. And... um, um, in terms of like Granada, what uh, what do you want to talk about there? So, I mean, obviously El Clásico didn't happen this weekend uh, due to the postponements of the Catalan protests uh, in Barcelona, and that gave the opportunity for Granada to lead at the top of La Liga. I mean, this is a, a, a cool little story. Yes, we're just entering November, but still, it's a newly promoted team. Uh, Diego Martinez, the, the manager, is only 38 years old. 
And, you know, he's, he's, he's taken Granada all the way to the top. Yes, there's still a lot to be played, but it's a really cool story. It's a nice little Cinderella story that allows a, a team like this to go top. And Diego Martinez, you know, to be 38 and to, to have his team up on La Liga is, is great. I mean, Barcelona still has a chance to go back on top on Tuesday. Um, but right now we have a newly promoted team, top of La Liga. And when are we going to see El Clasico? El Clasico is still a determination between... There's, there's conversations and arguments between La Liga and what the clubs want to do and the Spanish Federation. December is the time where they're thinking of. They want it December 18th, but La Liga said no. They wanted it earlier. So Why I, does stuff like this only happen in Spain? Because this is just... I mean, listen, if I, if I would explain to you why... I don't listen. I, I don't want to bad talk uh, uh, <laughs> La Liga uh, or, or Spain. This is a, uh, uh, but I will say this. I think that the situation needs to be rectified promptly, specifically in December, because they go on a break in December. They're not, you know, right before that. They don't keep going like uh, the Premier League. So this needs to be rectified straight away. Also, not to forget that December is a tricky situation for any major club because. You know, specifically a team like Barcelona, you know, um, who has so many other responsibilities that they have to do. And they don't even come back to start playing again until, you know, the, towards the end of January. So, uh, but December 18th, I think, is the date that they want to play. But okay. we're still waiting. Weird. Um, we have some news, actually. It's just come out here during our recording. Serginho Dest has announced he will play for the United States and not for the Netherlands. He's obviously the teenager who has been starting at right back for Ajax this season, has played for U.S. youth teams and youth World Cups, and had played some friendlies for the senior team. But you know, this was something that was up in the air, and here he is deciding to play for the U.S. Greg Berhalter had visited him last week to make a pitch. The quote from Dest, I have built up a great feeling with Team USA over the last couple of years, and I strongly believe in the plans and potential of U.S. soccer. You think he really said that? That's sort of a... <laughs> he, he has a good PR team. <laughs> team USA. Who says Team USA, man? <laughs> anyway, more to the point. This is good news, obviously, for Greg Berhalter and for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, you've got a guy who's starting in the Champions League. Um and starting for Ajax, who has decided to play for the U.S. I mean, he's 18 years old, and he's, like you said, he's playing for Ajax, and he has already a lot of experience at his age, and I think it's a really, it's a win for the U.S. men's national team to have somebody with this kind of quality uh, to, to choose that team, and, you know, good for him. Yeah, we can expect to see him in uh, CONCACAF Nations League action next month. I'm sure he's excited. Yeah, and in training, he'll probably have a... <laughs> Christian Pulisic will probably school him again just like a few weeks ago. And yeah, that's the thing is he's he's still a developing player, so there's a lot to like, but there's a ways to go as well as, as Pulisic showed uh, against Ajax and Des before. But still, that's that's something that I've always thought that uh, Jurgen Klinsmann did a very good job of was recruiting dual nationals to the U.S. And, and so let's, uh, you know, give credit where it's due here to Greg Berhalter for, for getting Serginio Dest on board. Yep, it's a win. Um, what else do we want to talk about here? Uh, I briefly wanted to talk about PSG, I guess. PSG yeah. won 4-0 against Marseille in Le Classique this past weekend. Um, you know, they were, they just went on uh, five, uh, you know, un, you know they just won five in a row. They've only lost twice the whole season. Granted, we talked a lot about Ligue 1, how much it's a weaker team. But, you know, they've gotten big wins in the Champions League too. But the thing that I wanted to talk about, I think it's something to watch out for. This PSG team looks more united 
than I've seen in previous years. And specifically because of the summer transfers they've brought in. I mean, Idris Agüe, uh, Sarabia, Icardi, Keylor Navas, of course, um, who has just, uh, you know, given eight clean sheets out of 10 matches. This is a team that, you know, it's looking good. I think, obviously, if they don't win the Champions League, it's still a complete disappointment and a failure for them. But I would consider selling Neymar in January. I don't think they're in a situation where they depend so highly on him, not because of his skill set. Of course, we know what Neymar Jr. brings, but just the injury-prone career that, you know, at this moment now with Kylian Mbappé, Cavani, Angel Di Maria, Icardi, do you really need somebody? Maybe you sell him and you bring him an additional player or maybe two that can complement the unity that you already have. It's just a storyline I'd like to watch out for. Is this now a new page for PSG? Granted, they are millionaires and it's not necessarily that we're talking about a Cinderella team, but it's always been interesting to see what Thomas Tuchel has tried to do with this squad and with players like Kylian Mbappé, who we all love so much and, you know, Keylor Navas, who have been such a supporter for, finally gets his starting lineup. But it's something to watch. And if Neymar is not there soon, you know, I don't think it would be that much of a catastrophe. So two questions for you on this. One, you're saying that Mauro Icardi has helped team chemistry. Amazing, right? <laughs> All he needed to do was leave um, Milan. <laughs> and two, who would buy Neymar in January? Like, I'm just throwing that out there. No, I don't think anybody. Okay. I don't think anybody. I'm just I think the I think the rhetoric is more if Neymar is to leave this team, maybe nine months ago we would have said, Oh wow. But because of the good business they did this summer, I don't think it's as catastrophic. But I agree. I don't think anybody I mean, there are reports of Barcelona is still interested, amazingly enough, but his price tag is just too high, I think. Uh, for anybody to, to do anything, specifically with the Griezmann situation they had to deal with. But, you know, the conversation looms to the fact that do they, did they rely so much on him now? Not, not so much. Uh, let's go to reader questions here. Uh, I've got one from Craig Williams, Altrincham, England. In the interest of competitive balance, isn't it time MLS was divided into two conferences like the NFL or MLB instead of East-West? No, was my answer on that one. And I think the reason is you you really do want East-West because already there's so much travel involved in this soccer league in North America that you really don't want to be crossing the country every week or even more often to, to be playing soccer games. Yeah, I, I agree with you here. It's a geographical thing. You can't, I don't think, and I don't think, I think it's balanced enough, to be honest. It's more, yeah. I, I think, to me, the biggest issue is minimizing the amount of teams that get into the playoffs, regardless of whether you make it into smaller uh, conferences or divisions. To me, it's about what are you going to do to heighten the competition between the West and the East? I don't, but again, I'm with you. You can't expect a team like, you know, the Union travel to Seattle and Portland if they're in the same conference, you know, more than, you know, even once a year because that's just a tremendous amount of travel. Yeah. I mean, I could see potentially, and this has happened before in the league many, many moons ago, of having, I think they had three conferences at one point. Like, and especially as they keep adding teams <laughs> yeah, and, and if there's like <laughs> odd number teams in the league, then maybe they might find a situation where having three conferences might be a, a better way to go for a bit and do the playoffs based on seeding and record, I guess. 
Yeah, I would split. Yeah, I mean, like you said, so many more teams are being added, and you could split it into one more conference. But it has the priority has to be geography. I think uh, it's just a lot of it's a lot of travel. And to be honest, there's not. I mean, obviously, there's a difference between your LAFCs and somebody like you know um, San Jose Earthquakes when it comes to talent and you know where they are in terms of their trajectory. But you have to stick with geography. It's just too much. Don't forget, this is not. This is, you know, a season that begins in March and ends, you know, uh, towards the end of November. It's not necessarily that long. So you have to prioritize, you know, the easiest way in terms of distance to see how much competition they can give each other. So that's it. Let's call it a day here. Enjoy the podcast with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. This was great. Um, I don't think, I think we covered everything. Aside from the fact that, you know, Southampton still has a manager. Many thanks to everyone for listening. We will talk to you next Monday.